0: Welcome to Day by Day, the verse-by-verse Bible teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel in Elk Grove Village, Illinois, with Pastor Phil Ballmeyer. We're glad you've joined us, and we look forward to spending time again in the Word of God together. We also invite you to stay tuned at the end of today's broadcast for information about additional studies and resources. Thanks again for being with us. To now, John has seen and heard glorious things as they happened in heaven. But now we find that the Lord shifts the apostles' attention to that which will soon happen on the earth. What will happen in the coming days? We'll learn more as Pastor Phil brings today's teaching from Revelation chapter 5.
1: But we don't have to get very far into the story. Genesis 3... Where the devil takes the form of a serpent, deceives Eve, she uh, goes ahead and eats the forbidden fruit, which God has said that they were forbidden to eat, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. She gives to her husband and he eats. They don't realize what they've done is they bought into the devil's lie, who said, if the day that you eat of the fruit of that tree, God knows your eyes will be open and you will be like him, like God. That sounds pretty good. Even though God had said, in the day that you eat of the fruit of that tree, you will dying will surely die but they opted to listen to the voice of the devil and they disobeyed what god had said in that one act two things happened i'm sure adam and eve did not fully comprehend in that one act of disobedience sin entered into the human race spiritual death resulted immediately they were severed from god fellowship was broken but they also put into process what we call the law of thermodynamics the entropy laws which said that everything was beginning now at that point to run down, to get old, moving from integration to disintegration, from wholeness to rust and decay, etc. Uh, that whole thing was put into motion when Adam and Eve sinned. I'm sure they didn't understand all the physics of, of sin at that moment. But what they also didn't fully comprehend, I'm convinced, is that in that one act of disobedience, not only did sin come into the world and with all kinds of horrible consequences, but they gave the world over into the control of Satan. Satan became the world's new owner and man's new master. At that instant, Adam and Eve left the kingdom of God, which the Bible describes as a kingdom of light and life, And they entered into the kingdom of Satan, which the Bible describes as the kingdom of death and darkness. And so the earth, which was theirs, had been given over to Satan. It was now in his control. That's why Paul called him the God of this world. And it was the devil, through sin, who introduced into the world all kinds of horrible things. Disease, injustice, deformity. Of course, death came as a result of sin. That's why it's so wrong for man to look at this world, which is a product of man's own rebellion, and say, well, if God was really a God of love, why is there so much evil in the world? As if it's God's fault for the mess we've gotten ourselves into. We disobeyed God. We thought we knew better than God what was best for our lives. I'm speaking of us in the terms of Adam and Eve. Yeah, but it's not fair. Why Why am I getting punished for what Adam did? All right, then... Why don't you do what Adam didn't do? Why don't you obey God perfectly your whole life? See, we want to blame Adam, but every day we prove that we're just like Adam because we disobey God, we do our own thing, we rebel. Let's not blame Adam for a lot of the stuff that comes into our lives. I'm talking about in general now, people in general. is the result of the consequences of sin. So you can't blame God for all the evil in the world when man has got an evil heart and does things that are contrary to what God has said and when he reaps the evil consequences, it's not fair for man to turn around and point a finger at God and go, why are you doing this to us? That's just not right. But see, God so loved the world that he didn't want us to continue on in this condition because ultimately it would have led to death and eternal separation from God. God so loved us that he sent his only begotten son to save us. Jesus Christ came to the earth as our Redeemer. Now, a man, according to Jewish law, had to satisfy three requirements to redeem land in Israel. And this is important. First, he had to be a kinsman, a blood relative. Remember, the earth was the Lord's, he gave it over to Adam and Eve, they forfeited it over to Satan. The world needed a kinsman redeemer to purchase it back. Jesus Christ. Well, excuse me, I'm getting ahead of myself. But in Israel, uh, to, to redeem land, first of all, a person had to be a kinsman, a blood relative. Secondly, he had to be able to redeem the land. He had to have the resources to redeem it. Thirdly, he had to be willing. He didn't have to redeem it. Even if he was a kinsman and even if he was able, he didn't have to do it. So he had to be willing. When Jesus came to the earth... His purpose in coming to the earth was to redeem the world back in the control of Satan. Why? Because God needed another world? Look at the universe. I don't know how many worlds are contained in the universe. So, so many that it's hard for us to even comprehend mathematically. So you mean to tell me that Jesus came down to redeem this world back from the devil because he wanted another world? Turn to Matthew chapter 13. In chapter 13 of Matthew, Jesus gives seven kingdom parables. You're familiar with these. I want to draw your attention to just one of them. Very small, one verse. Verse 44. Jesus said again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and for the joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Let me tell you what a lot of people think Jesus is saying. The treasure, they say that's salvation. And once a person finds salvation, once they understand they can be saved, they go out and they sell everything. They give up all to come and follow Christ and be saved. Well, what do we have that we could ever sell to purchase our salvation? Jesus said, the poor in spirit, they shall see God. The Greek absolute abject poverty. You have nothing to offer God to earn or purchase your salvation in the smallest degree. And if a person thinks that they do have something that they can use to help to uh, purchase their salvation or earn it in any way, God says you can't have it. This is a free gift. And I'm not going to give you a free gift if you're trying to offer me something. To say, well, be in God. You know what I mean? God, pl- Jesus plus me. That's how I got saved. See, it doesn't work that way. No, the treasure is not salvation, folks. What is the field? The field is the world. In parables, the field is often used to represent the world. What is the treasure? You ready? Us. The church. Who's the one who goes out and gives up everything to purchase Jesus does not need another world. It just so happens that his bride lives on this world. And if he's got to purchase the whole world to get the treasure, he will and has. Isn't that awesome? I mean, that is incredible. He came down to redeem this world back from the hands of Satan, not because he needed a rock In, in the cosmos. He's got plenty of those. There was a treasure on this planet. That's what he wanted. The treasure was you and me. That's why he was willing to die to redeem this planet so he could have his treasure. Yes, Satan has usurped control of the earth. The fact that it is now in his ownership is something Jesus didn't contest when in the wilderness, Satan tempted the Lord and at one point took him up to a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the earth in a moment's time, says, all these are mine. I can give them to whoever I want. I'll give them to you if you just bow down and worship me. And Jesus didn't contest that. He didn't say, Satan, you big fat liar. You don't own this world. He didn't say that. Because Jesus knew that Satan, at at least in this regard, spoke some truth. He was the legal owner, in a sense, of this planet because Adam and Eve had given it to him. He was now and is now the God of this world. But as I said, he is a usurper. The dictionary defines a usurper as one who seizes and holds as an an office, place, or power in possession by force or without any right. In other words, it's somebody that seizes something that they have no real right to. Satan usurped this planet. But notice, and listen, the earth doesn't really belong to the devil. He only controls it. It is still the possession of God, which is why the scroll is in the Father's hand and not in the devil's hand. God has always controlled this world. Always. Satan may have a measure of control. Ultimately, though, it still belongs to God, who is in absolute control. But that's why the people get thrown, because when you say the title deed of the earth and Satan owns the earth, how come it's not in the devil's hand? Because ultimately, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. I mean, God owns this planet, but He gave control of it to Adam and Eve. They gave it to the devil. And you know what? God is a God who respects His own laws. Shall not the judge of the whole earth do what is right, Abraham asked the Lord? Absolutely. Years ago, when my kids were little, I think I've told this story before, we got a a series of um, uh, videotapes. Uh, it was, uh, they, they were out of Moody. This was going back into the 50s, they, they had produced these. And I saw them advertising, so I bought, there was three of them, you know, and, and it was, uh, it, it revolved around a character named mister Fixit. He was like a neighborhood uh, handyman. And people, the kids in the neighborhood would bring in their bikes. You know, the wheel fell off, and Mister Fixit can handle it. You know, and he would ask, "Well, how did this happen?" Well, I was chasing down some guy that made fun of me, and Mister Fixit would then launch into a Bible story and open the, you know, and, and that it was. I thought they were good. I enjoyed them. I don't know. My kids got me they got them, but I enjoyed them. And at one point, they talked about the story of. Uh, and I'm really getting off the subject. They, they talked about. <laughs> They talk about the story of uh, remember Naboth's vineyard. How the Ahab wanted to b- buy this vineyard next to the palace, who b- belonged to Naboth, and he goes to Naboth and proposes this deal, and Naboth says, "Well, thanks, King, but no thanks. It's uh, belongs in- to my family. It's my inheritance. I can't sell it." But you know, and and so Ahab goes goes home and pouts, right? You remember the whole story. Well, at this point, little Johnny or whoever's listening to Mister Fix to tell the story says, "Well, why didn't the king just take it? He's the king." And mister Fixit wisely said, because there are some things not even a king can do. A king cannot break his own laws. He has got to function within the terms of his own laws. God is the same way. God is much stronger than Satan. Why did not you just take it from Satan? Well, he could do that. He's God, isn't he? Of course he could. But then he would be acting unrighteously. He had to play by his own rules. Which meant... For God to take total control of the world again, there had to be a redeemer, a goel, who would purchase it back. In verse 2, we read, Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? In other words, who is able to meet the requirements and pay off the debt? Notice he doesn't say who is willing. To take the scroll and control the earth. Oh, there's been a lot of characters down through the centuries that have been willing to control the earth. I think of men like Alexander the Great and Genghis Khan and Napoleon and Hitler and a whole slew of others. Been lots of people that were willing to be the king of the whole earth, to take control and so on. But the angel didn't ask who is willing, the angel asked who is worthy. Big difference. Is worthy now that cry that question went out into all heaven. Who is worthy to take the scroll and loose its seals? Two of the strongest angels that I read about in scripture are Michael and Gabriel. I didn't hear any either of them piping up and say, Well, Lord, I think I'm worthy. I didn't hear any of the 24 elders in this passage who represent the church, which of course would include men like Paul the Apostle, John the Apostle great men that we think of like D.L. Moody and uh, and uh, many others, I, I, don't, I don't hear any of them piping up and going, Lord, I think I can do it. I'm worthy. No. Verse 3, no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. And so a search of the entire universe from heaven to hell and every point in between shows that nobody turned up who was worthy. See, the title deed can only be opened by an appointed heir, who, of course, in this case, is Jesus Christ. No wonder John wept, because he realized that for God's glorious plan of redemption, if it was ever going to be fulfilled for mankind, that scroll had to be opened. And because nobody was found worthy. Well, it says in verse 4, So I wept much. Because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. The Greek word translated wept much actually means sobbed convulsively. See, John is overcome with grief because he realizes if nobody is found worthy to take that scroll and to unloose its seals, that means that the world would go on forever in the hands and control of the devil and that was something John could not, he could not handle. Well, verse 5, but one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. Jesus became our redeemer. The Hebrew, again, is goel. Kinsman. He is a kinsman, a blood relative, by, by the virtue of the fact he came down and was born of a woman. So Jesus Christ became a man, a blood relative of Adam. He's the second Adam. First Adam blew it for everybody. The second Adam is offering the whole world salvation. But Jesus Christ is a kinsman. Number two, he is able to redeem us. Why? He alone was the sinless, spotless Lamb of God who could take away the sin of the world. Again, sinners can't die for sinners. If you're going to have somebody die for sinners, they have to be perfect and sinless. Just like a lamb presented back in the Old Testament. If you sinned, you brought a lamb. It couldn't be some roadkill that, you know, it had to be a perfect lamb without spot or blemish. And of course, that pointed to Christ who was sinless and perfect. So he was able to redeem us. And number three, he was willing. He said, no one takes my life from me. I give it Freely. For the sheep, and so John says, or the elder says, "Do not weep, John. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah." Stop there. The lion of the tribe of Judah takes us back to Genesis chapter forty-nine, where Jacob is uh, is dying. He's uh, on his deathbed. He's got enough strength to kind of prop himself up in bed, call for his twelve sons to circle the bed, and he begins to prophesy over each one. In verse 9, he comes to Judah, and he says, Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down, he lies down as a lion, and as a lion, who shall rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, and to him, Shiloh, shall be the obedience of Of the people. Shiloh is a title for the Messiah. The scepter would not depart from Judah until the Messiah would come. In 86, something very significant happened in Israel. Something very traumatic. In eighty-six, the Roman government took away from Judah the right of capital punishment. The Jews could no longer. Put people to death who had violated laws that regarded capital punishment. Now, you may not realize that on the surface, but as soon as the rabbis heard that the Roman government had taken away the right of the nation to put people to death who had broken certain laws, they took to the streets and they tore their clothes. They wailed. I mean, they really wailed. They threw dust on their heads because in their minds the word of God had been broken. You see, the scepter, the scepter is a symbol of capital rule. You are, you have the authority, any self-governing people, any nation or has the right of capital punishment. To take the scepter away meant you no longer had the right of capital punishment. The scepter had departed from Judah and yet Shiloh, the Messiah had not yet come. You can imagine if you were a rabbi how heartbroken you would have been. I mean, this, the Word of God was broken. Little did they realize, about 70 miles to the north in the city of Nazareth, there was a young boy who was working in his stepfather's carpenter shop. Shiloh had come, the line of the tribe of Judah had arrived. It would not be for several more years until the full implications of this one would be made known. But the word of God had not been broken. The line of the tribe of Judah had come. The word of God had not failed. But something else the elder says here about the Lord Jesus. He says that he is the root of David. We know that Jesus was born of the house and lineage of David. He was a descendant of David. And yet, the root speaks of origin. And the question is, how could Jesus be a descendant of David and yet be the root of David? In other words, the roots don't come from the tree, the tree comes from the roots. If Jesus came from David, how could he be the root of David? Well, that was an issue that Jesus actually hit the Pharisees with. You know how they were always trying to trip him up and trap him? We've just played that game right along with them. They always get the worst end of that deal, by the way. Because, you know, he always was able to outsmart them. And then he hit them with something, and they were just, they slinked away with their tail between their legs. Turn to Matthew 22. I want to show you what he did. He he used this very same uh, issue with the Pharisees. In Matthew 22, starting in verse 41, it says, While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, What do you think about the Christ, all right, the Messiah? Whose son is he? And they gave the standard Jewish response, well, the son of David. And then Jesus hit them with this. How then does David in the spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day on did anyone dare question him anymore. Well, here's the idea. Jesus is trying to, well, he's trying to provoke some thinking on the part of these guys and trip them up a little bit, humble them. He says, look, the Christ, whose son is he? The son of David. Well, that was true. I mean, the Bible predicted Well, God in 2 Samuel 7 promised David the Messiah was going to come from his own loins. He was going to be a descendant of David. But then David in the Psalms, speaking in the Spirit, calls the Messiah Lord. Now you're talking about a very deeply patriarchal society. No child was ever called Lord by their father. The children called the father Lord because the father was greater than the children. If the Messiah was to be a child of David then why is David calling him Lord? Pharisees never thought about that. Totally through him. We understand what's going on because even though Jesus Christ was born physically as a descendant of David, that's not when he came into existence. He has always existed as God, the second person of the Trinity. And so that's how David in the Spirit could call him Lord because this Messiah was no mere man. He was the God-man. He was perfect God, perfect man, 100% God, 100% man. You say, I don't understand that. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my thoughts higher than your thoughts, God said, and my ways higher than your ways. There's a lot about God I don't understand, obviously. And yet we do believe what he has told us about himself. Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man. That's how he is unique. He is not just one of many... Spiritual teachers that have come down through history to teach us spiritual truth. He's not the latest avatar or the latest reincarnation of the Christ Spirit. He is the one and only eternal God, born of a virgin. He stepped from eternity into time, into the womb of a virgin, was born on the earth, a flesh and blood child, of course, grew to be a man. And so, in that regard, he was a descendant of David physically on the earth. But before that, he has always existed as the eternal, omnipotent God, the second person of the Trinity. Now, in verse 5, again, the elders said to John, one of the elders, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and the lucid seals. When the elders said that to John, John turns, no doubt expecting to see a lion. But in verse 6, he saw something else. And I looked and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood, what? A lamb, as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. In the Greek, the word lamb there is a word that means little lamb, which speaks of innocence, gentleness, and a
0: willingness to be
1: sacrificed.
0: You've been listening to Day by Day, the verse-by-verse Bible teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel in Elk Grove Village, Illinois, with Pastor Phil Ballmeyer. Today's message, as well as many other studies, can be heard and downloaded free of charge from our website at daybydayradio.org. From our website, you can contact us, order resources, read Pastor Phil's blog, and also subscribe to our daily podcast. We hope you'll pay us a visit. And remember to join us for Day by Day, Monday through Friday, here on this station. Thanks again for listening, and please join us again next time as we continue to study God's Word. Until then, may the Lord richly bless you and guide your steps as you walk with Him day by day.